0: Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. But we're really going heavy on headlines today, this latest edition of Headlines and Baselines, in which we run down some of the latest stories in the New Haven Independent and uh, reflect them a little bit, and then intersperse them with songs by local artists and locally adjacent artists. Including, we've done this a couple times lately because her career's taken off. Kristen Ford, who we watched her career in New Haven, take off over the years, a very really inventive singer-songwriter, rhythmic musician, at places like Cafe Nine and um, and Stella Blues, and she now has teamed up with Ani DeFranco, Franco, is producing her music and going touring nationally and hitting a big, big market. But first, before we get to her music, we're going to talk about a, a breaking headline this just in from the new haven independent posted 11:57 a.m bank to nightclub plan wins final okay we're talking about the vault folks you might not know what the vault is but when you see it you'll know why it's called going to be called the vault there's an old at 45 church street that's right by crown downtown there was an old bank building, it was most recently Kenka Savings Bank, but Savings Bank hasn't even been in business for decades, and it's this old kind of uh, dramatic, gothic looking building, I guess it's a marble column building that was one of those grand kind of banks that looked like temples back in the old days. It's been vacant for a long time. Oh, I see, it's a classical revival building, whatever that means, and, um, but it has those big marble columns, and it looks so grand. It's been empty forever. And it was brought up by a guy named David Kupferberg, who was doing some, down, Kupferberg doing some downtown redevelopment. And we didn't know what to go in there. And the city plan actually shot him down on the most ridiculous reasoning. Uh, that's my two cents there. He wanted to put a marijuana dispensary there. And they said, that's not good for the neighborhood. Well, you already got, maybe that's why they did it. You already got all these people who are kind of strung out on, on um, heroin and fentanyl who gather there on that very block and the Rite Aid where they buy Listerine. I mean, that's kind of a sad story. And uh, But there's also other clubs in that area. So when they got shot down for a marijuana dispensary, it's right across from Gotham City, for instance, they did get approval to make it a nightclub. So it's going to be a backup called The Vault, which is very well named. It's going to be kind of interesting. If you're really into nihilism and self-abuse, probably going to be great confines in that like vault. And um, But I, I think it's great to make it a club. Some people say, well, they don't like... Crown Street has all those tons of young people coming and just getting really drunk and acting wild every weekend and I'm not going to weigh in on that except to say that I'm probably not going to go there. I'm probably going to go two blocks away to Cafe 9 or some other places where people my age go but I think it is it is great to have places for younger people to go as well who like to go to rave, rave type music till 1 or 2 in the morning. But anyways the headline as I said is Bank to Nightclub playing wins final okay. The grand former bank building At church and Crown is now going to be a nightclub, and we wish all businesses do well. Well, I promised you some Kristen Ford music, and I'm not going to start with her new single. I'm going to start with the previous album, War in the Living Room, and this song is dedicated to some of the people who might be going to the vault on Crown Street when it's opened. It's called Broke, Stoned, and 23.
1: Storm cloud. I was broke and stoned And 23 I wish that I was all
0: Broken Stone and 23 from Kristen Ford over off her 2021 release called War in the Living Room. You're listening to Headlines and Baselines at WNHHFM one hundred eight point five, Live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We're going over the latest local headlines from the New Haven Independent. A little commentary and a little music in between from local artists like Gritz King saving time which is what we're hearing in the background he's a local jazz musician does original compositions one of the stories this week that people read one of our top read stories was about the death of angie jackson brooks angie dedicated her adult life to public service in the best way she was an alder from before they, when they're called alder when they're older women for 15 years in ward 4 in the hills she was state rep she was the top aide to former mayor john de stefano worked for the state Controller. And did something that I always admire people for, because I could never do it. She sat through long, endless community meetings all the time. Not just as an alder. And we need people to do that, by the way, who have more patience than people like me. But she was chaired the health board. She was on the management team. She was everywhere. So when people, you know, paid her tribute, she died. She was either 79 or 81. Her family said 79. The public record said 81. And that's actually relevant. Because sometimes there was a little controversy in Andrea's life. Nothing that reflects badly in her, in my opinion. But the truth is, when she died, when she died, I was one who argued not to play up the most controversial moment in her life that maybe had the most impact on the city. I think that's because when people die who dedicate their lives to public service, I don't like to focus on the mistakes they made over the end. But I think I'm kind of wrong about that because um, I think that how Angie Jackson Brooks dealt with her error was important and even inspiring. and makes me think of other people in public life, like the alder on the East Shore, who recently smashed into a constituent's car and then hit about it, didn't really report it, never took responsibility, never. And um, I think it's important that we all do make mistakes. And that the measure of a person's life is not that they made mistakes, but how they dealt with their toughest times. So let me, let me uh, roll it back a little bit. So Angie Jackson Brooks, you know, always worked at the grassroots, cared about people in the hill, never left the neighborhood, sat, as I said, through those long, endless meetings to make decisions with her neighbors. And she worked her way up. She was a state representative. And then she became the top aide to the mayor of New Haven, John Stefano. And she did that for a few years. And she dealt well with all the people, all different kinds of life. She never forgot who she was. And she was able to negotiate and deal, always very businesslike. And then she became the face of a scandal that almost ended the career. John Stefano. brought the FBI to shut down City Hall, take all the computers away. A lot of people were fired, including Andrea. What it was, was the city had a program of federal money that gave you loans, which weren't really loans. They were forgiven. You get the money, you don't have to pay it back. To f- remediate lead paint. We had a problem with lead paint in our houses. And it turned out that Andrea, who was in charge of the government really day to day, in charge of the people who made those decisions got a loan herself to fix up lead paint that she had to pay back so it was basically free money from the government that she was administering so this was a real conflict of interest and there was a second part of this that um, federal money was involved so they actually aren't allowed to use it for that reason and um, so that's why it, it opened the door when this was reported in the New Haven Advocate it opened the door to A bigger problem, which was how the Decephra administration in its early years was doing business, which is basically steering government money and and advantages to people on the inside with whom they're doing business to maintain their place of power, whether it was giving no bid, totally unneeded contracts to people, then raised money for the mayor's election campaign, to forcing people, really, who worked for the city or got contracts to give money to re-election campaign. Or in this case, when it turned out Andre got that loan It turned out she wasn't the only one. Most of the money for that program, which was technically available to the public, but you kind of had to know people on the inside to get it, it was going to elected officials and government officials. I mean, it was so bizarre that Liverpool City Initiative, LCI, was the agency that administered the loans. The director of that agency wrote himself a letter, and he's also a good guy. People didn't realize this stuff wasn't okay in the 90s. You got to trust me on this. Times have changed. He wrote himself a letter addressed to himself from himself saying congratulations here's a loan from lci i'm not making this up and uh the head of the board of alders family got it um not the headboard all this one of the top alders who later became the head of the board all Alders state representatives other alders. i mean it was deep and it was part of a larger culture that wasn't just this loan program that that's why the, the fbi never ended up arresting anyone they you know it was highly unethical behavior and this was illegal what they're doing but there wasn't the idea that it was that kind of level of graft that was then going on in three other connecticut cities you had the mayor of bridgeport joe Ganim, mayor hartford eddie prez who were on their way to prison because they were personally the mayors were personally taking money for giving away city business and then of course you had the mayor even of at the same time the fbi was investigating all these people the, uh, the mayor of, Har- of waterbury phil giordano not only was taking money from the mob and um, giving out stuff that actually was happening in New Haven too, but the FBI had to stop that investigation of his corruption because at the same time, I'm not making this up, folks. He was paying a crack addict, the crack addicted woman, to bring in her six year old tw- 6 year old twin daughters into City Hall to have sex with the mayor in his office in return for crack. The mayor was giving her crack. I'm not making this up. The FBI caught this on a wire while they were investigating the corruption, and said we 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 got to shut this down right away, people's lives are at stake. So they said, yeah, New Haven, they were doing this kind of stuff the way you always the government. It's highly unethical, but they ended up not arresting anyone because the mayor wasn't taking money, as far as anyone could tell. But Anzia's career, after a cent over a year, steady work, was thrown off. Now, a lot of people act the way South Cola did in the Alder in, in the East Shore when he's found doing something wrong and makes excuses for it, gets nasty to people, will never take accountability for it. Andrea just went back to work. Like, I ran into her often. And I'd written the story that derailed her career. And she was still professional with me. She, she wasn't happy about it. And the truth is, you know why? She took the money. And they again, we were in a culture then where people thought, this is how you do business and government. I'm really not making this up. You got to trust me. She had apparently taken in a relative's kid, who no little kid who no one was taking care of. And she was using that money to fix up an old house. Now, she's still the person running government should not be receiving this kind of stuff, you know, especially when that's all who's getting it. But it wasn't like this was some greedy, horrible person trying to get rich off government. She really was a public servant. And she went back to being an alder. She went to work for the state, you know, state controller as an aide. She had relationships that were well-earned in government. And she kept showing up. She kept showing up for decades. This was 1998. She kept showing up until near the end of her life like a year before she died or something or two, two years. This was a woman who believed in public service, who was a professional, who didn't think she was more important than the people she was representing or the issues she was talking about. She was an adult. I know that sounds silly and maybe even condescending, but I think in politics today, not just locally, I mean, geez, look at some of the national stuff. Adults, mature people who don't think, who aren't narcissists and think it's all about them, who believe in public service, I actually think that's a commodity in short supply that we need more of. So that's my take on no. Auntie Jackson Brooks, a life well lived, not only because of her accomplishments, but because of the steady work she did and the way she dealt with the most embarrassing moment in her life. Auntie Jackson Brooks, well done. Uh, next, I'd like to uh, play another song. From Kristen Ford's album War in the Living Room called Grey Sky Blue. This is more produced than the way she plays it by herself when she does the looping at um Cafe Nine, which is kind of my favorite, but but uh here goes. That's lightning in a bottle. I want lightning in a bottle. That's uh, Kristen Ford. Oh, let's us And you're listening to Dateline, New Haven, headlines and datelines. I'm just fighting for control here of the, uh, <laughs> of putting out what music you're going to hear. That's Grits King you're going to hear in Saving Time. The back is li- headlines and baselines, local news stories and uh, local music like it's king in the background here another headline in the independent these days parking meters new haven is buying 1400 new parking meters and 50 new kiosks with capacities to accept card taps and apple pay rather than just inserted credit cards and coins and one thing i learned in the of the story norway's flood covered it was that i was i don't drive that much but when i park the it seems like the meter is always broken And in fact, there's one near our office by the FBI building that the whole block, the kiosk, has been broken for more than three years. And you always try it and sometimes it takes your money and then you don't get the slip. And I know you're supposed to go to another block, go a slip and then bring it back. But some of us are lazy. That's why we're driving those days in the first place. And I always leave signs on my car like meter doesn't work or it took my money i found out that that's too bad <laughs> i got a ticket and they have a picture it does work the system the parking enforces that they have a picture of your car at the exact minute when it showed you didn't pay for it which was kind of fun to go there and see that um so technology does work when you have to pay fines in new haven for parking but it almost never works all, all this newfangled stuff and i don't want to be people to say oh it's so terrible newfangled we get used to it i can't do the remote parking my wife can with like when you pay remotely with your phone it's a little too hard for me but i I think the kiosk kind of makes sense and those meters i I like putting my credit card in a meter i can't figure out why that's so difficult for those things to work but it went for so many years like so many things in new haven it's such a poorly managed city we have a mayor who supposedly you know he has no vision or personality or connection to people who live here but supposedly we're getting this guy who went to school of management who really knows how to run things turns out he's a crappy manager and doesn't follow through so you definitely see that in our parking meters. On the other hand, it's a little unfair to blame him for everything that goes wrong. Although I'd say meters that for more than three years don't work, but it still works to get you tickets for it. Isn't great management, but we'll leave that aside. Hopefully, that's a new day, and um, hopefully, because I do think people should pay for parking. And a lot of us are lazy. We don't like to go into the um, drive up those big uh, parking garages, and then we a long time to get out sometimes. And so uh we whine too much about parking i actually don't usually drive so it's not an issue for me and i love the freedom of that but i'm glad they're buying the new parking meters i hope these work for more than a week unlike last time unlike the almost two billion dollars we spent on schools and then they don't work because we don't maintain them and we point a lot of fingers about it but i digress let's listen to the midnight strangers Teenagers in Westville put out several albums. Now they're in college, the groups on hiatus. But we still got their music we can listen to like like magic from the Midnight Strangers. Like Magic, The Midnight Strangers, Westville's own teen band. They're not teens for much longer, but the music still has that energy and that optimism. And we're spreading that here on Headlines and Baselines, WNHHFM 103.5, live-streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Another story I really enjoyed reading in The Independent this week, I, I enjoy reading all the stories in The Independent, Tom Breen interviewed Keanu Flores, and you, you've read about her from time to time over the years in The Independent. She went to call up High, She got involved in the Sunrise Movement, I believe, or, you know, one of the um, climate change movements where the young people were saying, this planet, you got to save it for us. We don't want it destroyed by uh, fossil fuels. And she's been an activist in that. And she grew up in Chatham Square, section of Fairhaven. Her parents were um, immigrants from Honduras. She got into Yale, and now she's going to be, because no one's running against her, the next alder from ward one which is mostly yale downtown which i think is great and she's the person so it's what's interesting is whom she is succeeding alex guzmé is also from new haven also from an immigrant family from ecuador from fair haven also got into yale as sort of like a first generation ascending into the american dream we could say and pushing for a just society and Ward 1 has always been interesting about whom they send to the Board of Alders because they're not usually there that long, you know, because you you move out of Yale after you're a student, right? You don't usually go your freshman year, although I guess you might be. And so some people then find a way to continue living there a few more years. Michael Moran did it when he was a Yale student. He went to the Div School, Divinity School, and he stayed out a few more years. But usually you have to be sort of like one of those sports people, remember, who played running back for the Cowboys for the last 40 years. There's a state senator, Martin Looney. You could tell you all that stuff. We've got the Heisman Trophy in 1923. Keeping track of World War World War One alders is a challenge because they keep going in and out. Like Marvin Krasloff, who was the president of Oberlin, he was a Yale alder. there's a even though he'd been undergraduate as a law student. Um, Michael Moran, who still at Yale, was there. Stephen Pryor, who became a top aide to Mayor of Newark and a commissioner in Rhode Island. I forget which part of the government. A lot of really smart, ambitious people come through, and the rap on them is, "Well, you're a Yaley and." A lot of resentment against Yaleys in town. They tend to be Yale students who care a lot about the city and care a lot about politics and are quite idealistic and end up being forces for good. I can only think of one case that I followed it for 45 years where a Yale alder actually was carrying water for Yale as an alder. Most of the time, they don't. Most of the time, they're supportive of good decision making and. While you like to have people like Angie Jackson Brooks, who are in for the long haul, they get experience over time, they make decisions based on deep connections and community. It's not so bad out of 30 there's to have one seat where an energetic young person who's excited to be part of a community adds some more perspective and help to the uh, public service, to the mix. So, But what has changed is that the older usually was a white person, sometimes man, this woman usually came from privileged background. And now we've had two in a row who grew up here in New Haven from immigrant families. And the irony there to me, and it's a good irony, is that the Yale ward is providing us representation from what might be the least represented grassroots part of our community, which is our ever-growing immigrant community, often undocumented. I know Alex's family was. Um, so it actually now is the Yale Alder who's allowing people most in the need of a voice, someone who understands their experience through lived experience onto the board. You know, I hate to be upbeat about something von politics because as I understand from algorithms and media outlets, you're supposed to think everything is terrible every five minutes, but I think that's pretty good. Then again, not everything in America is pretty good. As you will hear now from the Blue Jeans and their song, America Pulse. <laughs>
2: Where it ain't broke, that's a joke Cause we ain't got the same rights And even if I get it, gotta put up a fight And I ain't really saying that I got the answer key Cause really all I want is for my people to be free, to be free The beat of my heart is crying L-O-V-E Cause I want all of my people to be free, to be free The beat of my heart is crying L-O-V-E Cause I want all of my people to be free, to be free America, checking for your hope. I'm until they took it from the natives mm-hmm. then we turned around and had another be racist justify the use of religious discrimination mm-hmm. had a got us in the palm of their hand but we can't get together to create a counter plan mm-hmm. violence silence mm-hmm. rising riots innocent dying government lying mm-hmm. can't get ahead because we all too consumed with who i sleep with and where i use the restroom i'm just trying to tell you that i got the antidote for love, let peace win the vote Feel like giving up, but I still got hope Respecting every person, that would really be dope You can stand with love all fall from the hate Let's adopt one label for ourselves, human race well, Yes, we should pray for Orlando Like we pray for Sandy Hooks and Bernardino
1: We'll stop going to the movies And stop going to the club kindergarteners should be carrying the gun. Stonewall was a riot after the press were not enough. So won't you stand up? Won't you stand up?
2: America, checking for your pulse. The beat of my heart is crying, L-O-V-E, cause I want all of my people to be free, to be free. The beat of my heart is crying, L-O-V-E, cause I want all of my people to be free, to be free. Now what we want, peace. And who is us, we! So just let us be, and live in harmony. Now what we want, peace. And who is us, we! So just let us be, and live in harmony.
0: beating my heart is going l-o-v-e america pulse about the shooting the massacre at the pulse nightclub in orlando The blue jane story america man i think that is a powerful powerful song and a cry for humanity which we hear in the face of all disasters and who lives count and that makes the humanist argument that all lives count and uh Talking about that headlines and baselines, WNHHFM 103.5. Live streams at NewhavenPen.org. You know what? There's something special today in one of the headlines. The governor of Connecticut, Ned Lamont, did something right. Something that wasn't just protecting the interests of the elites that he comes from. Let me explain. So I want to say go, Ned, because not many days you could say that. Yale New Haven Hospital wants to buy three more hospitals. As you know, the state is getting carved up, the Haven Hospital and Hartford Hospital, the same way it's getting carved up by two media companies, Hearst and the and the Current. It's getting carved up. All little hospitals are being bought up. Generally, people are concerned about hospitals getting bigger, not enough competition, owning market share. But others argue the root of the problem is actually our healthcare system and they can deliver efficiencies. And a lot of these smaller hospitals, I think, like... Uh, like waterbury i know definitely like saint it was taken over and sharon they would otherwise go out of business as community hospitals because they can't function because of the deeper problems with our greed based vicious predatory healthcare system because gives all the power to the the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies especially to just rip us off for profit even though they get government protection to serve us terrible rates and basically have a business model that says get as much money from us as they can to get insurance and then give us back as little as we're entitled to under those rules and make our lives make us sicker just trying to get covered by them for the crime of getting ill so given that i'm agnostic about whether you allow these hospitals to merge sometimes there's no choice but here's the thing they're nonprofit, but they are like large corporations for profit and that they own the medical practices they have these vertical structures where, where they cut across the um Different steps you get a healthcare, the, the the rapid care urgent care centers the testing centers so it's not that anyone's doing wrong but it's not the same thing as like a church or a storefront medical clinic or a neighborhood health center when you're dealing at that level and they want 80 million dollars from the state to help cover the cost of that purchase now ned Lott. Lamont, whose heart usually only bleeds for fellow CEOs and elites from the uh, the um, yacht clubs down in Greenwich, where he's from, actually said no because he is a fiscal conservative and a serious, a, a sincere one. It is one of his strengths. And he said no. We're not going to use corporate welfare subsidizing this huge hospital chain to buy three more hospitals again. I don't think he necessarily should stop the merger. He's not going. There's only one way to fix it. I believe in the healthcare system in general, that's go to a single payer healthcare system, Medicare for all, where we take out the incentives for private insurance companies to rip us off as the cost goes so high. There are other reasons the course healthcare goes high, but the profit built into the system, the incentives to rip us off, make healthcare unaffordable. And we could do patchworks like Obamacare, which is great. You know, it covers, definitely covers some people, not usually with the greatest healthcare, and it's still taking a lot of money out of their hands. So... Until we can do what's just and right and makes by far the most sense single payer healthcare, we're going to have these imperfect solutions. But it doesn't mean we have to subsidize what are in fact huge, you know, corporations making a lot of money, even if it's not to shareholders. And again, it's good. Hospitals are good things, right? We want healthcare. We're glad they're there. They get very good quality healthcare. I had an operation there. I'm very grateful for the care I got there. I'm not, don't think government has to pick on them or. Get in their way but we don't have to give them 80 million dollars to buy three more hospitals just my two cents rather than my 80 million dollars also this week another headline darnell goldson is not running anymore for board ed he was the first elected board of ed member he's been serving since the uh mid-aughts and he's been the most interesting colorful member he asks the tough questions he gets into controversies he's independent of city hall and he pushes for transparency in a opaque board that doesn't understand the right of the public to know what's going on so job well done he wasn't going to win i don't think a third term Andrew downers running she got the support of the party i'm hoping she's going to be good too she's a good person a lot of good people on that board public servants darnell goldson played an important role there the way he did as an alder before that long korean public service job well done there was another headline by darlings be clear story written by laura glesby which is that he also got in fights with another board member ed joiner it was personal once they challenged themselves to a duel, cleared out a building, the cops came in, and they're always picking each other. And then this week, they found a reason to unite and get along, which is that the board, as they've done before, hired a consultant in how to get along. A get-along consultant, which, you know, it's one of the most bogus professions there probably are. I know it's good. You know, you're not supposed to say that, but I think paying a lot of money for, like, teaching people to be grown-ups and get along, you know, it's not a bad thing, but. That's where our tax money went to. And Darnell Guls and Ed Joyner he usually fight. We're buddies. They got together and they said, We agree, way to go. And what they agreed on was what bullshit that consultant's work was and the stuff she was having them talk about. So they were best friends for a day. And Christine Ford, whose music we've been highlighting today, has a song called Best Friends. So we're gonna dedicate it to outgoing board ed member. Darnell Gultson, and his new BFF, fellow board member, Ed Joyner.
1: Come on, baby.
0: friends from Kristen Ford like the BFFs of New Haven on the Board of Education Darnell Goldson and Ed Joyner read all about that in the New Haven Independent story by Laura Gillespie You listen to headlines and baselines New Haven Independent 103.5 FM well what's in the headlines constantly of course and some of us doom scroll about is the horrible violence taking place in the Middle East. It's so sad. I'm not gonna talk about each side's argument for who's right and who's wrong. I have my feelings, we all have our feelings. New Haven is trying hard to express our outrage, our pain that different communities are feeling, to do it in public. We've succeeded in not having violence here. It hurts. This is painful stuff to talk about. I would argue that we are doing our best right now to cope with this situation that touches a lot of people personally. People they know, but also goes deep into our souls about who we are as human beings, who we are as part of the country, with a role in that part of the world. It's tough for reporters. Tom Breen, the editor of The Independent and the reporters, have done such a great job of making sure everyone's heard in a robust comment section and coverage of the stories and it's a it's a um i think we just got to keep trying to hold on to our humanities when the time's the toughest and one thing a point i i, I like to keep making is not for, not only not forgetting the people on all sides who are civilians caught in the crossfire horrible deaths or kidnapping not only the soldiers the people with the guns and the bombs on both sides they're conscripted as well often and they're lying or, and they get killed But also the people who survive. What happens next? What happens when the smoke clears? What happens when the bombs stop falling? What happens when the shooting stops? There are all sorts of political questions. Again, interesting, important, hard to tease out. But there's also the individual human question. We learned that so much from the veterans of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. As technology changed the game, changed the nature of warfare. So many people were sitting 8 hours a day, 12 hours a day, just playing the equivalent of video games is they would target people in another part of the world and have drones drop the bombs and it destroyed their lives it wasn't so easy they weren't able to just go home and then move on witnessing, participating in warfare in massacres especially usually at the time you think you're caught up in a cause and later it's easier to see both sides it, it destroys people destroys their lives So I'd like to. There's a song about veterans of uh, Iraq who came back to that life forever changed. Slate Cleves wrote it. He's a singer songwriter, he's been around for quite a while. On his 2013 album, Still Fighting the War, the song is called Still Fighting the War, and that while our hearts go out every day to the thousands and thousands of people, millions of people whose lives have been upturned in the misery in the Middle East and the collateral feelings here, also thinking ahead to people are going to be living with the consequences in their own lives and their families' lives for decades to come.
3: Hard times coming home now, can't get your feet on the ground. Got some issues and no one wants you around Barely sleeping and you can't get through to VA on the phone No one's hiring and no one wants to give you a go And everyone else is carrying on just like they've always done before You've been home for a couple of years now, buddy, but you're still fighting the war back to Fallujah, lost another best friend Three tours of duty and you're wondering when it's all gonna end Bodies broken and bones shattered, blood and dust in your mouth Getting weary but you're running with the few and the proud Sometimes you wonder why you went, you never wonder what you stayed on for You've been home for a couple of years now buddy, but you're still fighting the war Men go off to war for a hundred reasons Why they all come home with the same demons Some you can keep at bay for a while, some will pin you to the floor You've been home for a couple of years now, buddy, but you're still fighting the war. The bedspread is free, yeah, faded and tearing apart. Two strangers holding each other in the dark. Tell me, what were your dreams? of broken dishes and slamming doors. You've been home for a couple of years now, buddy, but you're still fighting the war.
0: been home for a couple of years now, buddy, but you're still fighting the war. Slade Cleave's still fighting the war. And uh, indeed, after the shooting stops, after the smoke clears, this war now in the Middle East is going to be continuing in different forms and affecting our lives for a long time to come. And we're not going to deny it. It's, uh, so many of us are wrestling with the pain and the tragedy and the horrors occurring part of a conflict that has not gone away for so long is isn't ending anytime soon so we keep putting one foot in front of the other it's not the only thing going on in the world our day-to-day lives matter we have decisions every day and work to do and people to love and take care of to laugh with to cry with and that matters too while we're also holding in our hearts the heaviness and the said the horrors of unfolding in Israel and Palestine. All we can do is stick together, work toward a better world, one step at a time. I do think we can do it. Thanks for listening to Headlines and Baselines and WNHHFM. Thanks to Harry Dros and Doreen for working the controls, fixing my mistakes. We're going to take it out with I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the Afro-Semitic Experience and their album, A Plea for Peace. If ever there was a time for that plea, it is now. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day, all night. And all weekend long, WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.